Hi, welcome to the analysis.news. I'm Paul Jay. We'll be back in just a few seconds to discuss Haiti and Jean-Bertrand Aristide. Uh, you may not see this video on YouTube, at least for some time. Uh, we've been banned this week from uploading on YouTube, accused of spreading false information about the 2020 elections. Uh, of course, we did no such thing, and we're going to have a fight with YouTube about all this. And if you take a look on our site, you'll find a video that digs in to why YouTube is trying to uh, cancel the analysis.news. At any rate, we have other ways to get us up on our website, and, and this is one of them. So we'll be back in a second. Jean-Bertrand Aristide is a Haitian former priest and politician who became Haiti's first democratically elected president in 1990. I don't think it's possible to understand today's events in Haiti without understanding the role of Aristide and the 2004 coup against him. So now joining us again to continue our series on the modern history of Haiti is Jafrique Aiti, or Jean, as he's known to his friends. He's an author, a radio show host, a public speaker, activist, artist, Canadian civil servant, and he works with the Canada Haitian Action Network and Haiti Quebec Solidaire. Thanks again very much for joining us, Jean. Thanks for having me, Paul. So tell us, I guess, from the beginning, uh, you know, who, how did Aristide rise to become sort of the focal, focal point, or at least one of the major personalities of the democracy movement against the uh, Duvalier dictatorships? And, and then why does it end up in a coup against him? Hmm. Well, I'll start, you know, by centering it on what I know. Uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, uh, who is now in his uh, mid-60s, is someone who I didn't know about until late in the 1980s. I was, you know, doing my studies at University of Waterloo. And so visiting family members in Montreal, we were discussing the situation in Haiti. And one of my cousins popped up uh, the name Jean-Bertrand Aristide, um, that there is this priest who is um, becoming very popular in Haiti. But honestly, at the time, um, I didn't really quite understand it. And uh, a couple of years later, I was about to finish my studies, um, and um, I decided to take a course in liberation theology. And it so happens that this is the same year uh, of the election where Aristide was going to become the central person uh, in Haitian politics, and he's dominated uh, Haitian politics ever since. Uh, but how it happened is very strange because those elections in 1990 were happening as the first democratic elections since the departure of uh, baby Doc Duvalier for uh, France, uh, which happened in 1986. So there were different attempts to have elections before uh, that ended up in massacres. Uh, uh, notably in uh, 1987, uh, and the efforts uh, were becoming uh, very fragile. Uh, so, for instance, um, the military that have inherited the power uh, was really dominated by Tonton Makuts, and one of them uh, became a candidate, although the Haitian constitution which was rewritten in 1987, adopted by the vast majority of the population, included an article, Article 291, which specifically excluded former Totomakuts. Okay, that, just for younger people, others that may not know, Totomakuts were essentially the thugs of the dicta Duvalier dictatorship. Exactly. So the Duvalier dictatorship really relied on a personal uh, militia that he created called the Tonton Makuts, which uh, basically uh, was responsible for uh, repression against any forces that would be uh, attempting to overthrow uh, the president for life. Uh, okay. So when the election was taking place in 1990, 
the population was not interested because they saw that the military still had control over the whole apparatus. So it was seen as some sort of a massacre in, in the preparation, especially when some other cases uh, have happened in the past where there were uh, uh, massacres. Uh, uh, I mentioned 1987. But uh, the specific entry of Jean-Bertrand Aristide in the election happened in that there is this political leftist group uh, uh, called FNCD. They had already identified their their candidate, Victor Benoit. Uh, but there was no anticipation. People were not going to register to uh, make their electoral cards. And without the electoral card, you cannot vote. And so there was no enthusiasm for the election. And so FNCD, at the last minute, announced that they changed their candidate for president. And now it's going to be Jean-Bertrand Aristide. And all of a sudden, a lot of people went to register because they thought this guy could beat the Tonton Macoute candidate who was Roger Lafontaine uh, because it was clear, although the constitution said that he was supposed to be banned because he was a, a major player in the Duvalier dictatorship, but they saw him walking around with uh, the higher ups in, in the military who were in charge of the election. So people knew that they were not going to uh, remove him from from the slate. And that's actually what made Aristide uh, uh, more popular. Uh, because not only was uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide um, the uh, force they saw that was going to be able to stop the uh, Tonton Macoute advance, but he also brought a level of hope that we haven't seen in the country for years. And of course, people who are familiar with the liberation theology movement uh, were at the time uh, the folks who were more popular about it. Uh, and it just so happens that I was taking that liberation theology course in, in, in Waterloo, learning about Leonardo Boff in Brazil and uh, uh, Father Romero uh, in Salvador, who was actually uh, uh, killed. Aristide became the first liberation theologian to actually become a president. Uh, and, and when that happened in 1990, and I remember this uh, so vividly because at the end of 1990, I went to visit my family in Haiti, uh, my parents who were living in Port-au-Prince at the time, and we went via uh, the Dominican Republic. And at the time, the Dominican Republic was being ruled by uh, Joaquin Balaguer, uh, one of the dictators that lasted a long time on the other side uh, uh, of the island. And I remember Dominicans coming to us because that was a few days after the election in Haiti when Aristide won with such an overwhelming majority that the population went to the streets uh, proclaiming him president. Well, Dominicans would come to us and, 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 and uh, say, <laughs> you know, very quietly, you know, congratulations. We can only hope we would be doing the same thing here. Uh, and at the time, you know, there was no uh, possibility you could see that Joaquin Balaguer was going to lose power in the Dominican Republic because, you know, dictatorships in the region was basically uh, the mode of, uh, of governance. And so when I arrived in Haiti uh, in, uh, at the end of 1990 and, and the first few days of um, 1991, I was witness to a very strange thing. Um, I think that's the first time this happened in our history. Before I was, because the president is supposed to swear in on February 7th of the year following the election, according to the constitution. And so he was to swear in February 7th, 1991. Well, on, on January 6th, 1991, the Tantoma Roger Lafontaine, who lost the election to him, staged a coup. So at two in the morning, <laughs> we wake up and, uh, you know, young people are knocking at the, uh, at the uh, light poles and, and saying, wake up, wake up. And, and you see peasants, people coming from all over the mountains, uh, carrying whatever they could find, uh, tree branches, rocks, whatever. 
and they're walking towards the National Palace. And, you know, I had my little eight millimeter video at the time and I took some pictures and, and, and you know, arguing with my parents how far I can go <laughs> in the neighborhood. Because, of course, as a Haitian living abroad, you don't really understand, you know, the dangers and what's happening. And so people are very careful with regards to what's happening on the ground. But it was amazing. By 9 a.m., um, the army had to arrest Roger Lafontaine and um, put him in jail. Um, and the coup was over because the overwhelming presence of people in the streets was such that they could not see how this coup uh, could be um, uh, sustained. And as people who know the history of coups in Haiti, uh, you don't achieve a coup uh, without getting the blessing of the United States. Uh, and it seems that some branches of the U.S. government agreed with the coup, but not all. And so it was, uh, uh, and, 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 and the reason why this uh, is significant and important is that I mentioned in the, in the last interview uh, the name of Antoine Ismail, you know, the Palestinian, uh, the Haitian of Palestinian origin, who was one of the uh, supporters of Jean-Bertrand Aristide, financed uh, his campaign. He uh, gave a very bold interview. Uh, to the New York Times um, a few days uh, before uh, Aristide swore in, saying that Jimmy Carter, uh, the uh, former U.S. president, who was sent to Haiti as a U.S. envoy observing the elections, apparently uh, had gone to Aristide uh, before the votes were counted and tried to convince him to declare defeat so that the favored of the Americans, Marc Bazin, uh, would be claim, uh, named president. And when Antoine Ismery said that, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, did not trust him, did not believe him, but he insisted. And he, on top of that, insisted that the Americans, uh, the American ambassador to Haiti at the time, his name was Alvin P. Adams, uh, and, and the Haitians nicknamed him, Bourique Chagé, and I'll explain why. And um, he went on to say, uh, Ismery said that it's the U.S. ambassador who was backing Roger Lafontaine's coup. And he says those two things in the same interview that is still online um, uh, in uh, the New York Times archives. I mean, this is very important for people to understand because, you know, Jimmy Carter has this reputation of being a a progressive, a mild uh, American, former American president who supports democracy, you know, uh, habitat for humanity and, you know, helps the poor. Well, to us Haitians, this, and, and some of us took that lesson, but others didn't, uh, that really it doesn't matter whether the American president is white, black, Democrat, Republican, their policy towards Haiti remains the same imperialist approach that they must decide the outcome of anything like an election in a place like Haiti. You know, this people should not be able to choose their own president. And that goes even for people like Jimmy Carter. So apparently the response that I received gave to Jimmy Carter was that, well, listen, um, people are here, here's the microphone. If you really want to go and tell the people that Mark Bazin is their president, you go ahead and do it yourself, okay? And 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 so it, it was obvious that, and, and I think also another lesson that we should have taken from that um, incident is that unless a progressive uh, candidate in Haiti wins in a landslide, there's no way the U.S. Embassy is going to let it happen. Uh, unless there is some kind of major shift in the paradigm of U.S. foreign policy. And of course, when I say U.S. foreign policy, I can add Canadian foreign policy, I can add European foreign policy towards Haiti, because for all intents and purposes, they function as a gang uh, in the region. And so Aristide uh, manages to swear in um, on uh, February 7th, uh, uh, 1991, and 
he went with a speech saying that he welcomes foreign investment with open arms because, of course, his fiery speeches uh, on the pulpit were all very anti-American, anti-imperialist, and you know he denounced um, the crimes of the colonial powers uh, on Haiti, etc. So when he went on and said that um, he is welcoming foreign investment, clearly that was an overture towards uh, the Americans, the French, and he actually traveled to France, but came back, apparently there was uh, no appetite for the French to uh, send any signal that they're willing to have a positive relationship with the new government that he was going to lead. And on the American side, it was worse. Uh, the American ambassador uh, to Haiti, uh, that the Haitians named Bouik Chagé, uh, he, he made this statement before Aristide Soirin, and he said, Après Tamboulou, which means after the party, after the dance, the drums are heavy to carry. So that was his response to Aristide's uh, overture. And so, I mean, it was evident to the Haitians that uh, you guys are on your own. Uh, you opted uh, to go a socialist way. Well, that was that's my question. What was Aristide campaigning on, advocating that would have caused the French, the Canadians, the Americans to be opposed to him? Well, of course, um, the inequalities in Haiti are equivalent to what we have on the planet. Okay, So if you think about humanity in terms of the 1% of us who have access to all kinds of resources and the vast majority of people who don't have uh, anything, that's what you have in Haiti. And so any president who's going to be popular in Haiti, any decent person who becomes president of Haiti will be socialist uh, because the extremes are such that um, you know, drinking water has to be a priority. Food has to be a priority. And so uh, in, because he was also a priest and you know, his early books, uh, one of them is titled In the Parish of the Poor, uh, as a liberation theologian, I mean, his whole training and all of his writings, uh, Tutmun Semun, one of his books, it's all about the necessity to redistribute wealth uh, on the island. Uh, so that, as Jean-Jacques Dessalines, the founder of Haiti, had said, and those whose fathers uh, were in Africa, will they have nothing? This has been uh, the cry uh, since the creation of Haiti, that you cannot establish a country after a racial war uh, where the Africans were victorious, and then they end up being exploited for hundreds of years afterwards uh, by some of the very people uh, who had promised uh, that their lives are going to be better now. Uh, and so Aristide's mandate uh, or campaign, uh, you know, came directly from his uh, sermons on the pulpit, uh, but it's also part of a larger movement. I mean, of course, to simplify, people always talk about him, but it's actually a number of priests Okay, uh, because really the Catholic Church played a key role in that. And as you saw it in, in, in San Salvador, um, the church was divided in two. And that's why they call this group of priests Tzileglis, or the little church, or the lower church. Because in that same church, you had, uh, for instance, the, uh, the bishop of Port-au-Prince, who was a gun-carrying Totomakut, okay? François uh, Wolf Ligondé. And he also made a speech um, before Aristide Soirin, uh, warning the nation that, you know, there are grave dangers of dictatorship and, and, and uh, you know, so at the same time, and the Vatican, of course, uh, took a very adversarial position uh, when a Catholic priest become president of Haiti. I mean, you would think that they would celebrate that. Of course not. Because the church in Latin America is an agent of imperialism. So 
for instance, when they're plotting coups, oftentimes they go to the Catholic nuncio's office to plot the coup. <laughs> I guess it's better cover than going to the basement of the U.S. Embassy, which is the other place they would plan such a thing. Exactly. So perhaps now with cell phones, they might have conversations. But the Catholic nuncio is um, is some, like we've known, and, and, and Haitians have lived that, uh, many times when there are political crises in Haiti, the extreme right-wing forces always ally themselves with the church. And so that's why it was such an odd thing that the movement for liberation in Haiti came out of that church. But it was clearly like you saw Father Oscar Romero in San Salvador, when, once he started to side with the, the population, well, the bishops turned against him. And when he was assassinated, of course, the church um, did not cry long uh, for his death. Neither did they cry for the six nuns uh, who were assassinated as well. So liberation theology, theology played a key role. Um, uh, but it was also a, a, a movement that was embraced by, by a lot of naive young people, uh, people who were so thirsty uh, for democracy, for liberation, that we were willing to put our faith in people who gave us no signs uh, that they could be in favor of democracy, namely uh, the army. Uh, because our state went out there with no force. I mean, the guy was a priest. So he has, other than the backing of Antoine Ismeri and the popular support, the population, he has no force. He, he has no military force and he had no money. Okay, so one millionaire, of course, uh, Antoine Ismeri had lots of money. Uh, I don't know how much, but uh, in, in a field where you have about, you know, these other 15 families uh, on the ground, um, having one family that backs you up uh, is definitely not sufficient if they really want to remove you. So why, why did this member of the oligarchy support Aristide? Well, I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that he's also of Palestinian descent, as opposed to the others uh, who are from the other uh, countries of the region, Israel and um, um, uh, Syria or Lebanon, etc. Um, Antoine Ismeri was not only... Uh, uh, a strong supporter of Haitian democracy, he was also a, a, a strong supporter of the Palestinian people. How did he make his money? Uh, business. So <laughs> Haiti is a captive market. Okay, so now the population is about, what, uh, 12 million on the island. And most, uh, I would say about 3 million in, in Port-au-Prince now. Uh, so perhaps it was much, uh, it was lower than that back in, in the uh, early 90s. But still, um, most of these guys, they make their money by importing food. These people have to eat every day. And, and so the way the families organize themselves is that uh, they each have a monopoly on some products. Uh, so some of them are you know, importers of rice, others are importers of uh, uh, tomato paste, uh, you know, like, so, and with the middle class having fled Haiti during the Duvalier dictatorship, well, you know, you talk to anybody uh, in the Haitian community, they will tell you they have family members to whom that they are sending money on a monthly basis or on a weekly basis sometimes. Uh, because unemployment is so high, uh, there is no, like we spoke about at the last interview, there's no industry really to speak of to, to hire a lot of people. And that's why a lot of the people in the middle class saw the government as a source of, of income, as perhaps the only source of income. And what this means, it means corruption. So, for instance, the guy who works at the customs office well, the families pay you so that they don't pay the taxes that they're supposed to pay, and you make a whole lot of money. Uh, 
And because the country is not organized, you're not paying taxes either. And that's why some people can make lots of money in Haiti, even uh, if uh, they didn't come from a class uh, that would guarantee them money. Uh, so uh, someone who calls themselves a businessman in Haiti is someone who makes 700% uh, profit or 1,000% profit. Because whatever they're selling, the population has no choice. Okay, so why does he support a socialist Aristide? Well, <laughs> so Antoine is maybe, you know, oftentimes when I think about these guys, I always think about myself um, as, as someone who grew up in a privileged family in Haiti. You don't choose your privileges. You're born with them. Okay, And in a place like Haiti, things are pretty static. If you are not going to get involved in crime, um, in corruption, and then you were born poor, you're going to die poor. If you were born middle class, you have to mess up pretty hard to lose your middle class status. Okay, uh, Unless something happened and, uh, and, and there's political disruption or, or whatever. Same thing with regards to people who are uh, extremely rich. Things are stable. Okay, And so... When someone like Ismeri, um, and, and you can see that from his speech uh, 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 and his actions, because I used to go to his store. Uh, my father used to go and cash his, uh, his check in, 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 in his uh, shop. And you could see something very different about this man. Whereas um, when you go into those stores in Haiti, and, and you know, the contrast is amazing. And, and I know a lot of people when they discuss Haiti, and that's why I think they always miss the boat, because they always sidestep the racial dimension, whereas it's central to everything Haiti. Okay? You go into that st in those stores, and to this day, you go into any market in Haiti, you'll see the customers are black, the people who are serving uh, in the aisle are black, but the person sitting on the cash is either the owner... Uh, or the wife of the owner, and they're all uh, Middle Eastern, light-skinned complexion or white. Okay? And, and that's something that you will see uh, any, any day <laughs> you go and see. And so it was different for Ismeri's shop. And the difference was that when you go to those other markets, the person who is sitting on the cash has a demeanor towards the people that they are serving that you cannot escape. You just see it. As someone who grew up, who lived in Canada, and you know what customer service is, you understand that there's something wrong here. Like people are buying, and the people who are serving them are giving them attitude instead of you know, being kind and welcoming to them, etc., Okay, and that was the racial di dynamics, and that is the situation in Haiti. Because most of these families, sometimes I feel sorry for them, because I, the only thing I can think of is apartheid South Africa. Like, if you were a white person in South Africa, how were you feeling? And, and to me, that's how they're living. And so, you know, they would spend their day in the shop, and then they get into their car, like, barricaded, and they go into the mountains and they live in these houses that are like like big walls. You cannot see their houses. Get dogs and, and weapons and stuff like that. The Ismeris weren't like that. And it's a weird thing because like you just walk into their store and you see it. First of all, whereas George Ismeri, uh, the younger brother, would be on the cash, he was more reserved. He wasn't like outspoken in terms of politics. Antoine would be on the on the veranda uh, with some merchants with her arms around his waist and 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 he always spoke in Creole I, I, I mean obviously when you hear him talk you know he spoke many languages uh, English and French certainly and probably uh, Arabic but I only saw him speak Creole all the time and that's also another marker all right well let's get back to Aristide so he's he, He's elected in 1990, but then he's uh, he loses an election. He's forced from office, and then he comes back again later. No, no, no. What, what, what he, happens? He never got a chance to lose an election. <laughs> um, remember, the U.S. ambassador said, Apuidan Stambulu, 
Okay, after the dance, the drums are heavy, and the drums got heavy very quick. Um, the only reason that Aristide lasted seven months is because throughout the summer of 1991, and I was there, I lived it, I spent the whole summer going to the airport, picking up cousins who were coming from Africa, from the United States, from Europe, people who weren't uh, back to Haiti for 17 years were coming back. Haitians who were illegal in the Dominican Republic or in the Bahamas were leaving to go back to Haiti because people believed that everything was possible. And, and, and people were volunteering to, to, do, uh, to clean the streets and, and stuff like that. And small shops were opening. And so although the government was boycotted by the IMF, the World Bank, and all of these uh, uh, major moneylenders, because of the outpouring of support, even the civil servants were willing to work without receiving their paychecks, their first paychecks, because there was no money. The only money that was coming was the money coming with the diaspora uh, Haitians who were coming in. And so um, that wasn't sustainable. And so the military um, uh, took advantage of uh, some, uh, uh, I guess, political dynamics between Aristide and uh, the leftist uh, government, uh, the leftist uh, political party that put him in power, FNCD, uh, because they didn't approve of his choice of prime minister, um, to uh, continue to push for uh, destabilization of the country. But they realized there's a problem because this is a popular president. Uh, how do you conduct a coup against a popular president? And they saw what happened before his foreign with the coup that La Fontaine did, uh, which lasted only a few hours, and they had to undo it. Well, uh, I unfortunately also lived that experience. I was in Haiti uh, the night of uh, February 29th, uh, sorry, not February, but um, September 29th, um, uh, 1991, and the military um, uh, staged the coup and just like it happened January 6th the people came down from the mountains and they went in front of the National Palace except that this time they didn't go back home uh, I you know some people estimate that 400 people were killed uh, just in front like the area of the National Palace Aristide himself um, was rescued by uh, some elements of the army who didn't want to kill him. Uh, others actually were trying to kill him. Uh, some of the soldiers who protected him got killed. Um, and he was taken, uh, flown out of the country. Uh, first, he stopped in, in uh, Venezuela. He was close to the former um, Venezuelan president, Carlos Andres Perez, of the time. Uh, who welcomed him, and after a brief stay there, he was uh, he went to the United States, uh, and there, with the idea that, with a good number of uh, his ministers, who were in Haiti, uh, who had left with him, uh, thinking that they're going to be able to come back, and all of the countries uh, in the UN condemned the coup. Only the Vatican <laughs> recognized the coup regime, okay? Uh, uh, by, uh, and that was being led by General Raul Cedras. What we found out later on is that, in reality, you had double speeches by the United States. While in Washington, George Bush, uh, the son, and so that's another element to look at. This coup happened while there was a transition in power in the United States and George Bush, uh, uh, the father, became president of the United States. And when Bush um, welcomed Aristide to the, to, to the White House and said, you know, you are the president that we recognize, etc. Meanwhile, inside of Haiti, the U.S. ambassador was telling a delegation of the OAS that went to negotiate with the uh, uh, coup plotters, you know, a return to democracy, the U.S. ambassador was telling them, listen, you guys don't understand what's going on here, okay? Aristide is not the good guy. <laughs> um, 
and and you know and now people can read this uh in uh in some of the articles that talk about that uh alvin p adams is the name if you google him uh you'll see some of the statements attributed to him so he was telling the oas mission listen don't get it crooked um you can see my president is welcoming aristide but this is haiti okay the the real deal here is that aristide is the bad guy and we need to find a way to um uh, have democracy without Aristide. And that was the plan. So that means d democracy without any form of socialism. Yeah, any form of socialism and even <laughs> without elected presidents. Okay, so it's a military regime. Okay, so what they were planning to do was to find some people within Lavalas uh, to put in there as puppets. Uh, and keep our seat outside. Lavalas being the a party that was formed around Aristide. Exactly. And, and of course, they understood that the party was fragile uh, and uh, had not had any experience of governance. I mean, they only lasted seven months, right? Uh, but what happened is that there was a regime change in the United States, meanwhile. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton was uh, in, in the running, and he made promises to the Haitians who were lending in Florida that they weren't going to be uh, sent back to Haiti. And I participated in some demonstrations in Miami, Jesse Jackson, all of these folks were out there, the Congressional Black Caucus, everybody was demonstrating, saying that, you know, if you want to solve the Haitian refugee crisis, well, it's simple. Return their president. Because... People were going the other way when he was there. Um, and, um, and so Bill Clinton uh, went out uh, in the campaign saying that, you know, if he's elected, he's going to return President Aristide back and, 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 and he's not going to return refugees, etc. But of course, he didn't um, really mean that. <laughs> Once he was president, he continued to uh, send Haitians back. But you had activists like Randall Robinson, um, uh, Catherine Dunham, uh, the famed dancer who uh, went on a hunger strike. Uh, and all of these started to embarrass uh, the Democrats. And, and so what they did is that they dragged their feet for Aristide's mandate to be almost over. And then they strike a deal with him. We're going to return you to Haiti but you have to pretend that the three years you spent in exile in the United States, you were still president. And according to the Haitian constitution, a president cannot have two consecutive mandates. Okay? So essentially, the kidnappers <laughs> returned their hostage with the mandate of organizing an election for a successor to take over from him. And the Haitian people, honestly, it's not like we're stupid. We understood this was a raw deal. But what are you going to do uh, with the CIA's army uh, that is killing people by the thousand? Um, you don't have a resistance force in the country. And some activists were unhappy with this. They said that our state should have stayed in the United States and, and, and we will have a popular resistance movement. But honestly, uh, I cannot say that uh, I saw any evidence that we were organized enough to to overthrow the military regime. And so the the bad deal happened. And they also negotiated with Aristide some very, very nasty uh, economic deals. What, is that, what does that mean, nasty economic deals? For instance, tariffs on rice. Okay. He had to cut uh, uh, taxes... On, on rice imported from the United States. So the Americans could dump some surplus rice into Haiti more cheaply. Deadly. deadly. Yeah. I mean... Because it, it destroys local agriculture. It destroys the Haitian economy, period. Because hmm. by that time, we had very little in terms of industry. Okay, like we used to produce sugar. Uh, one rich family bought the sugar mill, closed it up and started importing rice. Okay, um, so, uh, sorry, uh, sugar uh, from the United States. Uh, and, and the rice industry that was uh, uh, burgeoning, um, 
Aristide was a strong supporter of rice production, Haitian rice production, because we have a whole area of the country, uh, that is dedicated to rice production. That, and, and, and that's another difference between Haiti and Dominican Republic, because we have the mountainous side. So we don't have a lot of valleys like the Dominican Republic. So we don't have a whole lot of places where we can produce rice and, and, and sugarcane like, like Dominican Republic. And so the rice farmers in Haiti uh, could not survive uh, if you cut tariffs on unimported rice. And that was the platform of the U.S. candidate that Aristide beat at the election. So essentially, he was returned to apply the policy of the competitor that he beat at the election. But to me, he had two choices. Either he stays in exile and watch Haitians get slaughtered by the military, or he returns and try to maneuver. And one of the things he tried to negotiate with the Americans is that given that the U.S. soldiers landed and there was no resistance to the U.S. soldiers when they arrived because the so-called Haitian army is the CIA's army. I mean, there was, you know, their uniforms, their training, their guns, everything comes from the United States. So it's not a real Haitian army, okay? So there's one speech by Aristide uh, that's available on YouTube that people who speak French might consult to understand what I'm saying here. It's called Je veux, je peux. I want, I can. And, and that's a very angry Aristide. You will see deliver a speech in front of the... Uh, U.S. representative, uh, the Catholic nuncio, I mean, uh, a first bench of all white men uh, who basically uh, are the powers with whom he has to negotiate his legitimate <laughs> uh, mandate in Haiti. And he was angry at them uh, because he said, doesn't understand how these thousands of U.S. soldiers are on the ground and they refuse to conduct the disarmament program uh, that was agreed upon because of course you know the military conduct the coup they occupy all the neighborhoods uh, with their gangs uh, and of course you know the the popular resistance movement had also some young people who had guns and the deal was that listen let's just remove all of the guns so that now we can constitute a, a, a new police force and it's only the police that will have guns and what year are we in now we're in 1993, no, no, 94, 95, 1994, 1994, because he returned to Haiti October 15th, 1994, with the U.S. soldiers and Bill Clinton making the big speech about the return to democracy, etc. But all of these other things are happening in the background. And Bill Clinton later on, uh, I because he's the one who pressured Aristide into cutting uh, the tariffs on, on Haitian rice, uh, on, on U.S. rice, uh, because the rice was coming from his state of Arkansas. Mm. Okay? So he had a direct hand in this whole thing, and he recognized that this killed uh, the Haitian economy. So, so, so Aristide returned essentially to organize an election for a successor. Uh, and, you know, a, a, a few people started to argue that, listen, I mean, we cannot consider the three years you spent in exile as your mandate. That doesn't make any sense. The military was ruling. Uh, and, but I think at that time it was evident that, you know, the hostage came with the U.S. soldiers. You cannot negotiate. And, and, and so you can see Aristide's mindset in a couple of decisions that he made at the last minute. One of them, and I think is the most significant and, and something that has been uh, helping the Haitian people ever since, Haiti had cut diplomatic relationships with Cuba uh, in 1964 when Francois Duvalier, uh, Papa Doc, uh, the US supported dictator, wanted to buy U.S. sympathy and support, there was a vote in the OAS, and few people know that, Haiti cast the deciding vote to exclude Cuba from the OAS. And it was an important vote at the time. And by doing so, uh, Duvalier 
got guarantees from the United States that they were going to protect him and help him. And in fact, it was the CIA that sent their agents to train the Totomakuts, his personal militia. Okay? And so diplomatic relationships having been cut between Haiti and Cuba since 1964, it means that Haiti, like you can see some uh, roof of houses in Cuba while you're in some cities in Haiti. It's that close. Okay, so there's always been, since the colonial time, uh, family connections between Haitians and Cubans. So there were none of these uh, uh, connections since 1964. And so Aristide, I believe it was the last week of his presidency in 1995, uh, uh, he went to Cuba and renewed diplomatic relationships uh, with Fidel Castro. Now, the Americans wouldn't have been very pleased about that. They weren't. <laughs> but his mandate was over, <laughs> no matter what. They had already stolen his mandate from him. And so that's why I think it's significant that he waited until the last minute to do so. Okay? And, and I think he needed also to show to the Haitians that he wasn't just a puppet uh, who was returned, and there are certain things that he could do. And the other things he did is that or other than uh, the, the, uh, the cutting of uh, tariffs on rice, um, he was supposed to also, as soon as he goes back, uh, to privatize the ports, privatize the, uh, the telephone company. He said no. So he dragged his feet, and some of these things he, he tried to negotiate uh, and saying, well, you know, you haven't disarmed the, uh, the military gangs, the paramilitaries, so, and then time was running out. And the election happened... Um, and with no surprise, his former prime minister, uh, René Prival, uh, won the election under the Lavalas platform and became president. Uh, and so, without any surprise, the next time there's an election, the people are going to vote for Aristide. Uh, because he, he's, he's allowed to run again if he waits to run a term. Again, for one last term, because the Constitution also does not allow you to have three terms. Okay, let's pick this up in the next segment. And uh, we're going to keep going with this modern history of Haiti. Uh, I think we should also, be, before we get back to Aristide, let's talk about René Pavel and what happened during those years. And we'll do that in the next segment that, that we do. Uh, I'm going to start, we'll call the series The Modern History of Haiti. And uh, thanks very much, Jean. Yes, Paul, it's, it's really a pleasure. And I'll let me plug in the fact that on... Friday the 6th in Ottawa, uh, we're going to have a demonstration uh, on Parliament Hill at 1 p.m. to essentially ask the Canadian government once again um, to let the Haitians run their country, um, choose their leaders, choose how they're going to uh, run their country, because right now the uh, efforts that are being deployed by what is being called the international community, which is really the core group, uh, the ambassadors of Canada, France, the United States, etc., is that they want to handpick um, people who are going to run the election in Haiti, uh, so that it's 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 a crazy outcome, uh, and no one in Haiti right now uh, is uh, calling for quick elections. Uh, because the system is all rigged. Uh, the PHTK party, which they supported and they are still supporting, um, is, um, uh, had, had made sure that the Electoral Council and even the cards themselves uh, are rigged. Uh, and so nobody has confidence in the system and they want to have a transition that is independent. And one of the things that is very telling is that Activists came out, and I'm one of uh, the people who first proposed that, that in the next election, as a condition for a party or a person to participate in the election, there cannot be any signs that you were involved in the assassination of the former president, um, Jovenel Moïse. Now, why would any decent person disagree with that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because all the signs are pointing to an inside job, that it is the party in power 
that organized it. And all of the signs that came out this last week uh, are um, people who got arrested, um, uh, all of the evidence, uh, even the leader of the PHTK party, the president of the PHTK party, has now been summoned to go and answer questions about the killing of Jovenel Moise. So we think that it doesn't make sense to reward uh, the people who participated in the killing. And, and also the wife uh, of Jovenel Moise, who's parading in the United States, giving interviews to CNN, we have no evidence that she has been questioned by uh, the Haitian investigators. I mean, this is the prime suspect uh, in any uh, case like that, at least if it's not a suspect, it's a witness who should be questioned. Well, so we're saying that um, Canada should get out of the core group uh, and um, that uh, they should just basically treat Haitians with the same dignity and respect that they treat other uh, countries. Um, I'm not so sure about the last part because <laughs> there's a lot of countries Canada does not yes. <laughs> treat with dignity and respect. But at any rate, we know what we know what you're getting at here. <laughs> Thank you. It's Paul. an it's an idea. It's an ideal. At it's any a, rate, it's an ideal, and I and I appreciate the correction. You're absolutely right. <laughs> All right. So please join us for the next part uh, coming in a, a few days after this one. Uh, and we're going to keep this series going to, so we all get a better handle on the current situation in Haiti. Thanks very much, John. Thank you, Paul. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. Please don't forget that there's a donate button, a subscribe. I, I have no idea whether you're going to be watching this on YouTube or just on our site. As I said, we've been banned this week from uploading on YouTube. It's a crazy story. And uh, soon I'll have a video up there uh, explaining all this. But uh, YouTube clearly seems to be out to get the analysis.news and some other progressive news sites as well. Uh, thanks, John. Thank you, Paul. And thank you. And see you again soon.